0: Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Welcome back to the twenty-fifth episode of the Short Track Talk podcast. Can't believe we're already a quarter of a hundred. And to celebrate, I'm bringing in today a, quite a different episode, actually, uh, bringing a different perspective of cycling and of races. And we have today here with us Elizabeth Walker, the team manager of Live Factory Racing Team. So I'm sure she'll be able to tell us some very different perspective and interesting stories of the cycling world that are probably not known by many. So good morning, Elizabeth. How are you doing, first of all?
1: Good morning, Enrique. Thank you so much for having me. I didn't realize that this was the 25th episode. I'm so honored (laughs) to be able to celebrate with you. Um, Yeah, things are going well. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Uh, Just uh, enjoying so far and uh, living life pretty much studying uh, basics, really, and not much going on. And I wanted to ask you, first of all, I made a little introduction about yourself. But I don't exactly know myself what you do. What does a team manager uh, have upon its daily tasks?
1: That's a really great question. Um, I've been managing uh, the sports marketing teams for Live Cycling, um, our Live Racing Collective and Live Factory Racing teams um, for about three years. I'm entering my fourth season. And um, I would venture to guess that uh, what a team manager does is going to vary From team to team. Um, But just a little idea of what I do is um, everything pretty much start to finish. in organizing the team, and that includes scouting and signing athletes and writing their contracts, um, as well as bringing them on board, making sure that they have the equipment that they need um, from not only our own company, but as well as sponsors. And then I do all of the logistics um, for specifically the World Cup cross-country team, um, and I organize our staff as well. Uh, so everything from start to finish uh, throughout the year.
0: Wow, well, it sounds like sounds light work to me pretty much.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I basically do it half asleep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. No, well, I mean, after that answer, I just uh, so many questions come up, and one of the one of the first things I want to want to ask you it's a little bit of background, if I may. So, first of all, how do you get into cycling? How do you end up being a team manager?
1: Well, oh my gosh, um, I actually was not someone who grew up cycling and mountain biking. I have no background in professional cycling, not even semi-professional cycling. Uh, I went on my first mountain bike ride on my 21st birthday. So really I was, I was a bit older, uh, when I got into cycling and, um, what I studied in, um, university, the first university I went to, I studied, um, outdoor education and experiential education. Uh, and in this, um, And in this course of study, we did a lot of planning and logistics, um, specifically for kayaking, rock climbing, mountain biking kind of trips. Um, But the logistics now uh, come in very handy. Uh, Then I also attended a second university um, to get my master's degree. And I have a master's degree in business administration Um, and uh, an MBA, as we call it in the United States, (laughs) is really a um, very wide, um, business degree at a graduate level that, um, you get introduced to everything from finance and accounting to marketing, um, to leadership, to operations. Um, so I was, uh, at least introduced to all of those different things. Um, but really my background is in, um, marketing specifically sports marketing and organizational leadership. Um, so fast forward, I was actually working as an accountant, go figure, um, it, at a university. And I um, I saw a job posting on the Live Cycling website and they were hiring a um, field marketing person. And so I applied and I got the job and I did that for about three years um, and actually left Live. Uh, and about 10 months later, they asked me to come back and manage the team.
0: Well, I mean, uh, it's a it's a good way to leave, I guess, and come back with a pretty 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 different position. It's A really good story, and it's also really interesting how going from no relation with cycling to having cycling probably all in your life, all day long. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. And first of all, I wanted to ask you, how does it feel to be in Live? Because I would say Live, uh, for those who are, who love the cycling world, it's a pretty special brand, especially because it was. Th- kind of a pioneer to produce content specifically for women and target women and kind of, uh, empower them, uh, giving them a team and giving them the tools to be able to succeed in the sport. So how does that feel? And
1: I think that, um, I didn't. I didn't actually know when I applied for my first job with Liv. I didn't really know Live or the brand at all. I just saw this opportunity to um, make mountain biking part of my life full time, and I thought, "Wow, that's cool. I want to do that." Um, so I've I've been with Liv pretty much since 2015, and um, and really you know, you kind of nailed it. Live is a, is the absolute pioneer in, um, not only, um, creating a community and content for women cyclists, but also, um, it's not just a woman's brand. It's a women's bike. It's a completely different geometry from that of giant or specialized or track or anything else. And, um, One of our, um, well, our mission as a brand really is to create opportunities for women in cycling. Um, And so as an extension of the brand, our team um, seeks to create opportunities for women in professional cycling. And so that's not only... Professional athletes. That's also staff as well. Um, so I, I actually have woman mechanics that work for me. Woman physio. Woman chef. Um, I've got women in every single role on our team. Uh, and for me, that's really inspiring. And it's also, um, it's also a big responsibility that I take very seriously um, because I hope to inspire other teams, to diversify their athletes and staff, um, not just women, um, but other, um, other populations that we don't see very often in professional cycling. And, um, and as an ally and as um, a partner um, and as a woman myself, I'm in a very privileged position where I get to create opportunities for women. Um, and that feels really cool.
0: I can imagine uh just working and being able to work and dynamize and create such a special special project and to be able to be part of it must be a must feel pretty special it already is pretty special from the outside when we when we see uh the, the diversity uh, leave has right now and keeps working on it so it's really interesting so thank you for sharing all of that super interesting to know and it's always uh, like I said a different perspective from what we usually see it's not the usual stuff you get to hear about on the news or on social media or whatever. So it's always, I find interesting to see and to hear. So thanks again. And now uh, let's get a little bit into the spicy stuff call uh, it somehow. <laughs> so first of all, uh, you mentioned, and it's the, the part my, I'm most intrigued by, we could call it like that, which is you do the scouting and you do the recruiting. And sometimes uh, scouting and recruiting means taking people from other teams or po- poaching them. So uh, could you tell us a little bit about that process of getting in touch with a rider you fancy or maybe you like discounting well from younger categories?
1: Yeah, um, I actually work in partnership with our team coach, Oscar Sayas. He's actually Spanish, um, former professional downhiller, quite famous. Um, so he's he's the team coach, the um, technical coach for um, Giant Factory Offroad team, our brother team. Uh, and he also works with Live Racing. Um, So Oscar and I work together on scouting and um, for sure, this starts at the very beginning of the season at the, um, at the first race, um, which this year is in Nova Mesto. uh, I, watch all of the races, um, specifically the women's races. So I watch the junior series. If there is one, I watch the U 23. And of course I'm watching all of the elite races as well. And I'm, I'm paying attention to riders. I'm paying attention to number plates. I'm paying attention to lap times and finish times. And I really kind of scour, um, I, I scour the results sheets, which are provided to us from the UCI, um, to determine who, who it is that I might be talking to that year. And I usually like to make initial contact, um, at least by the second race, um, so that we can start, um, having a conversation. I think that, um... I think that results um, and and power and capability is really important, but for me and for our team, it's also really important, the personality and and the person on the bicycle. So having these initial conversations gives me a good idea to determine if our program would be a good fit for the rider um, and if, if the rider feels the same way. Um, but I'm also paying attention to what riders um, and staff members, for that matter, are doing on and off the course when they're not racing. Um, I'm just always eyes open, paying attention, looking at behavior. How do riders treat each other from different teams? Are they super happy and giving each other high fives at the end of the race? Um, Or are they mean or um, do they have, do they race with their elbows out um, in a really aggressive way? Um, You know, there are just some things that uh, I think ultimately, um, It doesn't I mean, it does matter how fast or how good or how powerful a rider is. But if the team structure and the team culture and the team vibe isn't a good fit, well, it's really going to inhibit the growth of everyone. So I'm not only looking for fast riders, but I'm also looking for good people who are going to um, really jive and um, build up the culture of our team
0: absolutely Uh, when you started i was just about to say that not everything is in the numbers uh, especially that's really important the attitude and the sacrifice that many writers have and always their attitude to other stuff and other writers like you mentioned which at the end uh, describes the personality of each person and gives you an idea of how the fit might be like you mentioned and i'm most intrigued by like What has been the most surreal situation you've kind of encountered? You don't have to like say the name, but like tell us a little little bit the story if you can.
1: Um, do you mean for an athlete that's on my team or for an athlete that I'm scouting?
0: Someone that you were scouting that you were like, "Oh, the numbers are unreal on this one. Like I'm really going for it." Then you encounter the person (laughs) and you're like, "Okay, uh, let's 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 pass on this one."
1: Yeah, sure. I think. Well, there was someone that I was very interested in at the beginning of last year um, and uh, started talking with her pretty early in the season. And um, we got towards the end of the season and I actually had a deal for her. um, And um, long story short, this is juicy and spicy, as you want to say, long story short is um, she left my deal and went with another team. And um, that I will say it was hard not to take that personally um, because you invest so much of yourself into the scouting process. And then you think like, oh yeah, this is going to be so awesome. Like we've got the right person who has the numbers and is going to be on the team. And then they went with somebody else. And it was just like, "Ah!" (laughs) but you know what? I think like, I'm a firm believer um maybe call it silly but everything happens for a reason right and um ultimately I I want I want women to feel empowered on my team or on somebody else's team and so I'm also proud of her for making the decision that's best for her and also I have a really great team this year um and I think that I have the best team this year, uh, as far as, um, not only rider capability and rider numbers. Um, but we were just in Spain, uh, last month and had a, had a team camp, uh, with giant factory off-road team and did the first couple of races. And I left, I left that camp just knowing for sure that this was right, that this was the, the right team for us for this year. Um, and so I'm just very stoked that everything ended up the way that it did. Um, so that's my surreal moment is an in the moment, I was a little bit sad and disappointed, but it actually was for the better.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, that's an interesting story. I think I can actually imagine who you're talking about even, but uh, let's leave it there. And <laughs> Uh, yeah like you say uh, after putting all that work and all those math works and seeing that the season is starting and everything all all the pieces come together and the puzzle actually looks nice it's just uh, so rewarding uh, uh, after all that work and after all the, all that traveling especially uh, for you guys and uh, speaking of traveling team logistics I've seen I've seen done a little bit. I'm, I'm not any kind of pro like no pro level but like small level and it's already ca- can get quite interesting sometimes complicated complex let's call it that way so how do you manage uh especially when there's back to well back to back world cups when you're landing in novi mesto on a wednesday thursday depending and you're leaving on a sunday and then you're off uh to Leogang, is it this year or upset yeah and then you're, you're you're off to one of them to the week right after on the monday how do you manage to organize all of that and how is it because i can imagine it can get quite stressful
1: yeah. It, um, it can be stressful. It can be complicated. Um, it can also be very expensive. And so there's a lot of things that I'm keeping my mind on. Um, it's, you know, between, between live factory racing and giant factory off-road team, um, we have 17 people that we're moving around and, um, I do have a co-manager on giant factory off-road team. So he, um, we help each other out. um, But uh, but we're also we're working in tandem. And so it takes a lot of um, it takes a lot of patience and cooperation together and a lot of communication as well. Um, We have people coming from France, Belgium, Canada, USA, Switzerland. um, Who am I forgetting? (laughs) Poland. Uh, We have people coming from all over the place. And so um, the first thing that I prioritize is my people. Uh, I want to do what's best for everyone. So, um, I want to, I'm, I don't want to save a hundred euros to get somebody on a really bad flight. I want to spend the extra 100 euros to get somebody on a good flight. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely most conscious of taking care of my people. Uh, and I also like to simplify things. So sometimes I have to make the executive decision that, you know what, um, This person wants to arrive on Monday. This person wants to arrive on Wednesday. Well, if you're not driving your own car, guess what? We're all going to arrive on Tuesday because I'm not going to take three different trips to Prague airport to come get you. Um and uh and the team um the team is very um very cooperative with that as well they completely understand um in terms of lodging housing 17 people is also really difficult um we have accommodations partners um in all of these locations that we've worked with for many years and so basically the moment i'm checking in to say um, Uh, we stay at the Tarlac apartments in Leo gang, the moment I'm checking in, I talk with the owner, Herbert, and I say, Herbert, are we on for next year? And I go ahead and get our, um, reservation set for the next year. Um, so that I know that we're staying in a place that's comfortable, it's quiet, it's clean, uh, it's safe. Um, and then, uh, between races, the the day-to-day schedule really doesn't change much because the UCI more or less tells us what that schedule is. And so really all that's left is flights. Uh, so I work together with um, a travel agent and with the individual athletes to make sure that we're getting everybody to the same place around the same time on a comfortable flight.
0: Uh, it's a lot of work, like you said. It's uh, managing a lot of people and having to deal with a lot of people. And concerning that, I'm most interested about probably one of the most important aspects, which is the budget. You receive yeah. the budget uh, not at the beginning of the year, but like preseason, and you have to organize everything. How is receiving a budget and just not being the right budget or having to fight for some more because it's just not going to cut it for the whole year?
1: Yeah. Um. Oh my gosh, it's like you can. You've been reading my emails. <laughs> um. Yeah. I think that. Um. This year, uh, myself and probably a lot of teams are definitely dealing with some budget cuts um, between last year and this year. The bike industry had a really big boom um, after COVID, and it started to slow down a lot. Um, and meanwhile, there's still um, constraints with the supply chain. So um, definitely between last year and this year, my budget has been cut. Um, definitely, I had to kind of felt like I needed to like beat my chest a little bit and go to bat um, for the amount of money that we need um i think that our teams are very lucky in the sense that we are um we're factory teams we're owned by giant bicycles and live cycling so i'm not i'm not relying 100% on money from sponsors i um am, a majority of our budget is paid by our company so there's, there's a little bit of a safety net there. If I get into a situation where I need something really important, but it wasn't budgeted for, generally speaking, it's okay. I don't have a finite amount of money that I need to deal with. Um, but certainly, you know, I'm a steward for our budget. My colleague is a steward for his budget. And um, we try to spend money as if it were our own. Um, and luckily, I I also feel empowered by, um, by my manager to... Um, To do what I need to do. She trusts that I know uh, what the team needs and that I can take care of it.
0: Well, uh, that's amazing. And yes, I was exactly asking because I know uh, the economy is not working as well as it was uh, last year and the year before. But still, you guys have Olympics right around the corner next year. So this is a very important season for it. And we all know how it works. Uh, people get tense, people get nervous. Uh, we cut, we can, we go where it's easy to cut. We just take taking some money off the team, and then they'll figure it out. But yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, that's exactly right.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting to see. And I've asked you about the most surreal story so far, but I also wanted to ask you about the most rewarding one because we also want to hear the nice things that happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I was, um, I was actually on a meeting earlier today, uh, just like a a team update meeting. And over the last two months, um, my team live factory racing, as well as our privateer team Love racing collective have done 15 races and in 15 races we've had 13 podiums and five wins and just you know that that little reminder for myself of like oh wow like you know the work is really hard or you're super stressed or um there's a there's a lot of balls in the air and i'm afraid i'm going to drop one well, i look at the results sheet and i'm like wow that's awesome and not only that um but uh the people that we have on our team are just very high quality people um There's there's not a single person that I'm like, ugh, I'd rather not work with you. Um, So in that sense, it um, it always kind of feel kind of feels rewarding. Um, I will say that uh, the very first year that Live Factory Racing had World Cup cross country athlete um, was the year of the Tokyo Olympics. And um, it was Linda uh, Linda's first season with us. Uh, She um, most athletes try to avoid switching on to a new team the year of the Olympics, because there's just so many things like the team vibe and the culture, the level of support, the equipment, all of this stuff. You don't want to get used to that in a year of the biggest race in the whole world. Um, uh, so she took a big chance on us um, and she joined the team. And then um, the 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 day of the race, it was the middle of the night for me in Colorado. Um, but I woke up and I turned on the race And I was just like, Oh my God, (laughs) she's, she's in the top three and they're in a breakaway. Oh my gosh. It was just the most exhilarating moment to be watching the Olympics live and to be like watching an athlete that's on my team, riding a bike for my brand. And, and then she ends up on the podium and it was just like, I couldn't go to sleep after the race. Of course I was just wide awake. Um, and it was it was just an unbelievable moment. Um, for Linda, for me, for our brand, for our bicycle. Um, it was actually the first off-road Olympic medal in our company's entire history. Um, so uh so yeah, that was it was, that was just an unbelievable year. And yeah, moving into Paris 2024, um, you're right, this is a crucial year. Um, We also have the very first um, uh, cycling world championships where all the disciplines are going to be competing in more or less the same place um, in the UK. And um, so these next two years are also crucial. Um, And I, you know, crossing my fingers, pressing my thumbs that, um, that we have more good results coming up this year and next
0: uh, that'll be for sure it's always a good start and like you mentioned uh just having an olympic medal not not it's like most probably sport reward you can get uh most uh, biggest sport competition in the world and you get a medal uh, for for the brand and for the team and for everybody that's been like working the whole year for it. Uh, with Linda in this case, it must must have been pretty special for sure. So uh, that's really it's always interesting to hear those kind of perspectives and because you see them through TV, but that that's what you what do you get with and you don't see anything else. And I also wanted to ask you, we've talked about when things go well, but what happens when you plan a season with all your heart? put in a lot of work and sometimes it just doesn't turn out how you expected it like oh my god this is really not working you can already tell at the beginning of the season you see some hints and then it's just september arrives uh well, saw the last world and you're like this was a mess
1: yeah yeah totally you know very honestly i haven't had this experience um last year was a really hard year for me professionally uh i started my year off at the cape epic um with two pro teams, um, and, uh, finished the year. Uh, and between then I'd been sick. I got COVID several of my athletes had COVID, um, as well had injuries, things like that. And so there were quite a few just things that didn't go right last year. Um, but I think that the reason why, the reason why I've been able to so far make it to the end of the season and, and been okay with it. There's not been a disaster, is because we put in a lot of work on the front end of setting up our team culture. Um, We don't have fights between people. We don't have people who are upset and don't talk to each other. We don't have people who yell or scream. Um, We don't have people who quit in the middle of the season. Um, We are you know, I, I want to say we're really lucky in that sense, but it, luck has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with um, starting the season off by setting expectations of transparency and vulnerability um, and doing the best that we can with with the resources that we have and and managing those expectations throughout the year. There's several times throughout the year where I meet with my staff one-on-one um, or in a group, where I meet with my athletes one-on-one or in a group. We have the opportunity to share feedback back and forth um, and uh, and we make it to the end of the year We all really like each other. And that's the biggest win of all. Results aside, the biggest win is that we make it to the end of the season. We all still want to be there. Um, And then when we get great results, that's the cherry on top. Um, But um, my people are most important to me in taking care of their well-being. And I think that shows in our level of professionalism um, throughout.
0: Well, well, I think that's really interesting Andrew. Well, just like (laughs) pretty much all the answers (laughs) you've given me so far. And I also wanted to ask you. What's the best part of the job?
1: Oh gosh, there's so many best parts of the job. Um man, that that is probably the hardest question you've asked so far. <laughs> um because there's just so many to choose from. I think that um I think that the the greatest the greatest compliment or the greatest win that I can receive is showing someone what they're capable of. Helping guide someone to reach their best potential, whether that's an athlete or a staff member. Um, so, I I can tell, or I know they tell me directly um, that that I am making a difference in their lives. And um, for me, that's the greatest thanks that I could receive. Of you know all the hard work, of all the results, uh, all of those things, um, knowing that um, knowing that I've helped someone you know, get closer to their goal or reach their potential is the best feeling.
0: Well, uh, that's more than enough of an answer. And that's one for enough. Uh, It's it's always rewarding, especially rewarding to see how you've been able to exploit the best and take the best out of a person. Because sometimes it happens to many writers, right? That they join a team they're really hyped up for and then just the atmosphere or whatever on the team just doesn't cut it for them. And they're just kind of a little bit uh, not, exploited enough and they could be doing much better but it just doesn't happen yeah you're right yeah and i also wanted to kind of know because i'm sure you've had some tough uh tough conversation with some writers at some point because you've been you've been on the on the job for a few years and you just mentioned like you're just proud that there's no shouting on the team and no people not talking to each other so how do you deal with those situations in order to avoid getting to that point where just people you can tell there's tension between them and they don't want to do anything anything with each other.
1: Yeah. Um one of them is being present. Um I go to the races. I'm I'm not um I'm not sitting at home, you know, trying to run the team from afar. And so being there um and being accessible. Um uh, when I'm at a World Cup, um if I've if I've done my job really well, when I make it to a World Cup, I I really have very few responsibilities other than managing my people and leading my people. So I'm there for people to um to chat with and they can come to me however they are. So, you know, I got a text message a couple of years ago from one of our physios that was just like, well, I just pissed off this other physio and he's probably going to quit. And I was like, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's talk about it. And um, we had a conversation, uh, and and he was able to, you know, let me know what was going on, and we figured out a a plan um, to be able to kind of smooth over the situation. And I was also able to meet with the other person uh, just to, you know, make sure everything was all good. And yeah, of course, I didn't want anybody to quit in the middle of the season. Um, but really, it's impossible to not have conflict. Um, but it's, it's your reaction or how you approach the conflict that's going to determine the outcome. And so I'm, I'm the, you know, for the most part, pretty calm, um, (laughs) pretty calm person that anyone on the team can come to. And, you know, they can, they can yell at me, they can yell about the situation. They can, you know, do whatever they want to do. And they know that I'm, you know, I'm on their side. Um, I'm on everybody's side and I'm going to help, um, figure out the situation, uh, with their involvement. And, um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of work. That's, that's probably the hardest part of my job, um, is, is, you know, getting 17 people to work well together, um, and it's also the most rewarding.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, managing 17 people all around the world with constant traveling. Uh, sometimes weekends don't go as expected. Oh my god! Sometimes weekends don't go as expected. Uh, sometimes mistakes are made accidentally. Obviously, nobody nobody makes mistakes on purpose. And dealing with all of that is is not always easy. So it's always important to have hands on and being on top of everything in order to avoid the situation, just getting out of control pretty much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've gotten really good at, um, uh, so my background is in organizational leadership and I'm really interested in temperament and personality styles. And so on our team, we talk a lot about like Enneagram or Myers-Briggs and some of these personality tests. Um, But you know, being present also allows me to um, really get to know who I'm working with on a very molecular level, um, so that I know I have I have a staff member named Kevin, and Kevin, um, he questions everything. And at first, I was like, "Oh my gosh, like Kevin, chill out. I got this. This is my job. Don't worry about it." But Kevin's personality style is that he highly values a sense of safety and security, and so his questioning wasn't to offend me or because he thought that I didn't know what I was doing. He just wanted to make sure that I checked all the boxes and that I answered all the questions um, and he felt safe and secure. And so um, so now I can get ahead of it um, and I can say, hey, Kevin, you know, don't worry. I got this under control. And he's like, thanks, Liz.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's at the end of the day, knowing your people and knowing how to work with them because at the end, uh, just each one needs uh, different needs and has different needs and there's all different personalities and being able to work with them and just uh, create a good atmosphere of work is, is probably the most important part. And speaking of the team and all the staff, probably I would say that sometimes hiring the staff can be tougher than hiring the writers. As the riders know what they're in for, they know they're going to have to travel, they're not going to have they they know they're going to have long, long hours on the car, on the planes, on the airports, but the staff have even longer hours on the road, uh, driving cars, setting everything up when they get to a new place. And so how do you find the right people on the team that are willing to put all that work because at the end of the day it's a lot of hours of work sometimes. Uh well we know well for those that know cycling, know know how it goes in events and in organizing. So how do you find the right people that are willing to put in that much work and they are not going to find that a problem but instead of finding it a problem they're going to find it rewarding.
1: Yeah. Um So this is a very interesting question as it comes um, specifically to live and creating opportunities for women and finding women mechanics and um, and uh, creating equity and um, inclusivity. So this is something I've thought about a lot. Um, I believe that um, traditional sports structure, any sport, it wasn't really made for women. Women in the United States didn't actually get the opportunity to be athletes until the 70s, the 1970s. That's like not that long ago. Um, But all of these sports were already, well, not all, but most sports were very well established well before the 1970s. And so this traditional structure was really built around men. So um, when you think about domestic responsibility, um, such as like raising kids um, and having kids uh, for some women, when you think about the level of d- domestic responsibility or burden on women, you would think that professional sports isn't really a place for women. But that's but that's when you're thinking inside the very traditional box. So um, I've had to um, rethink. The way that I provide opportunity for women. So something that I've done in the past um, and continue to do now is that you know, say I'm you know I have an, an open position for a mechanic. Um, we'll use uh, we'll use one of my mechanics. Her her name is Paige. Uh, we'll use her as an example. So a few years ago, she came across my radar as a great mechanic, highly qualified, um, capable of being um, a World Cup enduro. Um, UCI gravel, any kind of top level racing, she's capable. So I, I always meet with the person on Zoom or in person um, to to give them the good stuff and the not so good stuff about what it's like to be on a professional team. Um, and then for Paige, what I did was I hired her as um, a day rate mechanic for the first year. I said, hey, here is a list of um, races where I could use your help, or I will pay you to come shadow. You come to them and you can try it out. We'll meet and we'll see how things are going. And then, you know, we'll we'll just have a conversation about it. So with Paige. I brought her on and she worked with one of our um, male athletes uh, for Nova Mesto and Albstadt a couple of years ago. And after that trip, I said, you know, hey, what'd you think? Was, did I explain it to you accurately? You know, what was the good? What was the bad? Do you want to keep doing this? And ultimately she said, yeah, this is really cool. I'd like to, you know, give it a try. So I gave her a couple of more race opportunities that year um, so that she had the opportunity to meet more athletes, try out some different disciplines, meet some more of the team staff. And then at the end of the year... Um, I asked my other staff, hey, what'd you think of Paige? Do you think that she, you know, has the level of um professional um mechanic skill that we need? And she got good reviews um from our athletes and staff. And so I approached Paige and said, Hey, do you think you want to try this full time? This is what it would look like. Um and so now we're three years in with Paige, but giving her the opportunity to dip her toes in the water before fully committing allowed her to make a very conscious, purposeful choice um that she's in control of. And then I've done the same thing with other staff. And this year, um, one of my new physios, she couldn't commit to the entire World Cup season. So she's actually splitting the World Cup season half with her and half with her physio employee. And I was like, that's great. I'd rather have you here some of the time than none of the time. So let's figure out a creative way to make sure it works for both of us. Um, So it just takes thinking outside the box a little bit to be able to create those opportunities for people. Um, And you know, again, going back to people are most important. Um, having those very honest and transparent uh, conversations about how things are going and what maybe needs to change in order for it to work.
0: That's actually really interesting. I'm going to say this, but not in an offensive way, uh, completely the opposite. It's just in a complimented way. That is such an American way of approaching things. Of always, Sure, sure like- totally. Because, like, you would think that you and a European team is somebody European, you would present the contract. That the contract doesn't work, they say like, no, I can only do half of it. They'd be like, okay, we'll look for someone else, right? But then in your case, it's just completely different. It's really interesting to see the approach of uh, providing jobs, but not only in this hiking industry it can be really, <clears throat> it can be taken on to any any kind of jobs. Really, it's it's super interesting to hear how you give them a try. Uh, You let them see if they're going to enjoy it or not, because sometimes you might have the availability and you might have the will to work, but it's just not your thing, right? And once you you start it, you say like, oh, I still got a year of this. I'm not going to be sure I can deal with it. Or if you end up dealing with it, you're just not going to have the right attitude through it. You're just going to be like wanting it for it to end. So it's just a really interesting perspective, a really interesting approach, to be fair. Uh, Your way to do things, like you said, it's a really creative way. Not something you would see in Europe, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Yeah,
1: and maybe it's something we see in Europe in the future. I think, um, you know, um, if I think about, you know, what legacy I want to have, you know, down the line when I'm no longer a team manager, it's, it's that I inspired other teams to think about new and different ways of doing things that hopefully helps include more people and, um, specifically more diversity within the teams. I think our sport really needs that. Um, um, but it's, it's scary to think about new or different ways of trying things. And so, um, I'm happy to be the Guinea pig, as we would say in America.
0: Yeah, uh, it's kind of the lab bread. Uh, just testing everything out, see how it goes. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't really. But it's, like I said, it's really interesting approach of just kind of slowly driving people into the sport and uh, looking for people. And especially in your case, you're looking for women in a world that's mostly man, man-made, right? So it's even uh, kind of uh, more complicated. Okay, so uh, starting to come to an end. I don't want to make this too long and you got other places to be. I have a very busy woman. I wanted to ask you. What are the goals for the season of the team? So
1: um, there, there are a couple of goals. Um, in the background, behind the scenes, um, Live Factory Racing grew from one athlete to three athletes. So we have two elite and one U23. Um, and we also have a new van with pit infrastructure. So we've got a massive investment in talent and infrastructure on our team. Um, so one is like check that goal was realized um but you know as as things grow that's it that's a huge growth um there will be some kinks to work out and so uh a goal on on the background is to dial it in and make sure that you know we have our people and our processes in place we're supporting exactly where we need to but we're not wasting our time effort or money in in places that don't really move the needle um On the front end, I'm really excited about the athletes that we have, um, on, uh, on the elite XCO team, we're looking for consistent top 20 results. Um, and really, uh, particularly with Linda who, um, really shines in short track because of her, um, experience in XC eliminator, um, I would love for her to be back on the podium in Short Track World Cups. Um, Our U23 writer, um, Ronya Blochlinger, she is brand new to the team. And I believe that we're also her first, you know, factory program that she's ever been part of. Um, She's got um, time left still in U23. So we want to support her basically being on the podium at every single World Cup this year. And I think that she is fully capable of doing that. But then also preparing her well for um, coming into the elite ranks um, when she turns 23, 22, so that um, she uh, has the confidence, she has the experience um, to be able to um, enter that much more competitive field, um, feeling empowered uh, and um, strong.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we've all heard it. Uh, Liv made a pretty big investment this year on the team. So everybody go buy some bikes from Liv. Yeah. So <laughs> the listeners can have a even bigger budget next year. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, right.
1: So- Thanks, Enrique. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And uh, last question of the podcast, I always do this. I have I could literally go oh, on another hour, but you got stuff to do. I got stuff to do as well. And if we make this too long, people won't listen to it. So uh, I've also got, got some stuff to take care of. So I wanted to ask you if you could give me a song to put at the end of the podcast. It can be anything you want. Uh, yeah. Any kind of gender. I've had all, all sorts so far.
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay. So little known fact about me is that. I don't listen to music very often. Um, I have been known to um I have been known to drive in the van for 12 hours in radio silence.
2: <laughs> Savage. I know, <laughs> I know.
1: People would tell me like you're a crazy person. <laughs> but um I uh I'm gonna say some very American Dolly Parton.
0: Okay
1: and um she has a great song like gets me through the hard days it's called nine to five
0: nine to five okay so we'll leave everybody with nine to five from Dolly Parton uh thank you so much Elizabeth for sharing all those interesting stories and details that we don't usually get to hear about and we wish uh the Lives cycling team and we wish you a very good season
1: Thank you so much, Enrique. It's been an honor. I've really enjoyed talking with you and um, hope to see some fans out on the side of the race course this year. And
2: yawning, try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping out on the streets. The traffic starts jumping folks like me on the job from nine to five.